Well, I'm glad to be back with y'all this morning. It's been a month, but a month goes by pretty fast these days. But I am glad to be with you, and I thank you for having me back. Today, uh, if you have your Bibles with you, if you would, or grab the one in the pew, uh, if you would, join me at the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark in chapter 4. We're going to be at the end of chapter 4. And we're going to be looking at uh, a story here at the end. My guess is you're probably all pretty familiar with it and you've probably heard it preached before. But it's the story about Jesus and his disciples on the Sea of Galilee and the storm comes up. And you remember the story. Give you a little context. Much of Mark's gospel up to this point is taking place around the Sea of Galilee. Of course, we're in the earlier part of the gospel here. And essentially, a lot of it takes place around this sea, which is really a big lake. Uh, it's a six and a half mile by 13 mile long lake, is what it is. And uh, Jesus, of course, uh, does a lot of teaching around the lake on different sides of the lake. He, uh, of course, he feeds the, the multitudes around the lake. And uh, he's just come off of a, a day of teaching. And he tells the disciples, hey, let, let's, let's get in the boat. Let's go on across to the other side of the lake. And that brings us to the text. Let's look at beginning at verse 35. The Gospel of Mark chapter 4. Let's remember as we read this, uh, we read it as an act of worship because it is God's holy, inspired, and errant, infallible word. Verse 35. On the same day when evening had come, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. Them, that is, the disciples. Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was, and other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we were perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? God's word. Let's pray. Oh, Father, now uh, come and be with us through your Holy Spirit. Uh, truly make this time profitable for us, Lord. Give us uh, number one, give us uh, eyes to see and ears to hear what you would have to say to us through your Holy Spirit. Give us the sensitivity to that and a faith-filled expectation of what you would say to us individually. And Lord, help us to hear what you would have us to hear through your word. And change us, Lord, and make this a time of sanctification for all of us. Help us, would you, for your glory and for the well-being of your people. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Many of you would probably recognize the name John Wesley. John Wesley, of course, was an Englishman. He was an Anglican minister, famous preacher in the 1700s, probably most well-known for founding the Methodist Church later in his life. But earlier in his career, before he became a regular preacher in England, he went to Georgia, over here, the colony of Georgia at the time. He came over here to the United States and uh, before it was a country, still a colony. And he came to the colony of Georgia, came across on a boat, of course, to, to, to be a missionary to the Indians in Georgia. And as he was coming across on the boat, there were other people on the ship called Moravians. Now, has anybody ever been to Old Salem, up in, up in Winston-Salem before? Old Salem. Okay. Well, Old Salem uh, is a, up near Winston-Salem, North Carolina, is a, is a Moravian uh, settlement that is pretty interesting to visit, by the way, just from a historical standpoint. Uh, but the Moravians were started by a man named John Huss in the 1300s. They were at the very beginning of the Reformation movement. They broke off from the Roman Catholic Church because they were wanting to get back to a more biblically-based church. And they were based uh, out of what is now Czechoslovakia and Germany. They were very devout Christians, and they were very uh, real-deal Christians. And they were on this boat with John Wesley. And he was watching them during the voyage. And and they were uh, they were very humble people. They... You know, they were very willing to serve others. They were willing, very willing to, to, to do very menial jobs, dirty type work on the ship, uh, and to do it with joy. And they, they truly walked the, the walk. And, and the Moravians were holding a worship service on the ship at one point, and there was this bad storm that came up while they were in the middle of the worship service. And Wesley thought, okay, this is going to test them. We'll see where they're at in their faith. He was watching. Now, I'm going to read you what he wrote in his journal. <clears throat> this is a quote here. In the midst of the psalm, where, where with their service began, the sea broke over, split the mainsail in pieces, covered the ship, and poured in between the decks as if the great deep had already swallowed us up. A terrible screaming began among the English... There were English people on the ship too. The Germans, the Moravians, calmly sung on. I asked one of them afterwards, was you not afraid? He answered, I thank God, no. I asked, but were you not your women and children afraid? He replied mildly, no, our women and children are not afraid to die. Wesley goes on, he says, From them I went to their crying, trembling neighbors, the Englishmen, and pointed out to them the difference in the hour of trial between him that feareth God and him that feareth him not. You see, what most struck Wesley in this situation was that the Moravians truly had no fear. They kept singing the psalm, Despite the lit, the waves literally crashing over the deck of the ship, can you can you imagine? They were crashing over the deck of the ship. They must have been getting soaking wet. They must have had to have wondered, is this it? But they calmly sung on. Despite the English being in hysteria, 
crying, wailing. And so there's this stark contrast because death was staring them all in the face. But the Moravians, what they did was they exercised faith directly in the face of the most severe trial. And we all know that once somebody comes to Christ, that they will face struggles, that the Christian life is full of struggles. Our faith is going to be tested. And the question is, what do we do in the face of that, in those tests, those trials, those struggles? Do we exercise faith as the Moravians, or do we resemble more like the English? And so the question that this text answers is, how do we exercise faith in the face of great trials? How do we do that? And there's three parts to the answer. Number one, we trust in God's word. Secondly, we trust that Jesus cares, and we trust, thirdly, we trust in his almighty power. And that's the way we'll look at this text today. But first I want to quickly kind of just see what's going on in the text before we jump into the points. We see in verse 35 here that evening had come. Jesus tells his disciples to take him across to the eastern shore of Galilee. He was tired. He'd been teaching all day, and he tells him to get into the boat. Now, there are some other boats with him, we see in verse 36, some smaller boats, some other followers. And then this gale blows up in, in verse 37. It's, uh, again, the, the, the Sea of Galilee, it's 13 miles long by six and a half miles wide, but it's 650 feet below sea level, which is a little odd. And it's not uncommon at all for, for uh, cold air to rush to rush in from the mountain passes all around the Sea of Galilee and then, and then to go down the passages suddenly and to collide with the warmer air over the water surface and then you get this severe turbulence, which is what would have happened. To the point where in verse 37 we see that the waves are literally breaking over the boat to the point where the boat was in danger of sinking. Meanwhile, Jesus is asleep in the back of the boat on a pillow. His disciples wake him up. They ask him, does he care that they're about to die? He gets up, Jesus does. He rebukes the wind, tells the sea to be calm, and that's exactly what happens. But then he turns to his disciples and, and asks them why they're so afraid and why they have no faith, and the disciples respond, with fear, saying, who is this that can calm the wind and the sea? And so let's look at the text again together through these three points. First of all, how do we exercise faith in the faith, faith in the face of great trials? First of all, by trusting in God's word. Look with me here at verse 35. It says, on the same day when evening had come, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. Jesus told them what the plan was. Jesus said, we're going to the other side. God had spoken. God spoke and said, this is what we're getting ready to do. This is what's going to happen. We're going to the other side of the lake. But when the storm hit and they thought they might drown, they forgot what Jesus said. Because this was a faith test for them. And they were more like the English, weren't they? 
all they saw was that the boat was filling up with water. And it looked hopeless. They got so, so caught up in the circumstances and the feelings and the emotions of the moment that all they saw was fear and they failed to remember what God had just told them face to face, Jesus Christ. He just told them. And instead of drawing strength from what he had told them, they were focused on the circumstances. D.L. Moody, the famous evangelist in the 1800s, he had a woman approach him and she said, she said, I have found a wonderful promise. And she quoted Psalm 56, verse 3. When I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. And Moody said, let me give you a better one. Let me give you a better promise. He quoted Isaiah 12, verse 2. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. You know, again, the, the Bible promises that we're going to face great tribulations. In this world, you will have tribulation. Jesus promises us. There are going to be hard times. And I certainly don't want to give you the idea that, that, I, that I can stand up here and say that I've had harder times than you or whatever. I can tell you I have my own share. And if you are younger and you haven't had many, then your time is coming. Because that's the promise to all Christians. We all have crosses that we will bear. And there are going to be times when you think your boat of life is really about to sink. And there maybe there's somebody here today. that You're going through something today and you're wondering, how in the world am I going to make it? These are the times when we can most easily focus on the circumstances and get swallowed up in the circumstances more so than looking at God's word and his promises. You know, having, having saving faith is, is obviously the, the first step. We have to have saving faith. But, but then there is an active faith that is being presented here that is, that is on display here that is different, that is putting it into practice into the heat of the moment. And these are the times when we really have to remember God's promises, isn't it? Aren't they? Probably the greatest example I've seen of this is uh, a, a previous church that I was a part of. There was a lady in the church that had lost, an older lady. She had lost, uh, in the past, she had lost her husband uh, to an illness. She had lost both of her adult sons, one of them to an illness, another one to a car accident. And this was, this was before I knew her. But she called me, she called me up one day out of the blue and she wanted me to come over and pray with her. And I could tell she was upset, so I went over there. And uh, she, she was so upset. She had... Uh, her, one of her daughters and daughter-in-laws had taken her in to, in her basement to live there to take care of her in her uh, final years, so to speak. And about uh, four or five months into the to, to the deal, uh, it had become uh, known to the daughter-in-law that 
that uh, this lady friend, this elderly lady friend in our church, wasn't going to write her into the will or wasn't going to write her into the will as much as the daughter-in-law thought she should have been written into the will. And so she promptly booted her out of her house. And, of course, there were grandchildren involved. And to say the least, this lady, friend, this elderly lady, was deeply hurt. And so when I went over there and sat down to pray with her, she was telling me about everything. But in the middle of telling me about everything, she was saying, Preacher, help me to have faith to see what God's doing through this. And she's bawling her eyes out if she's saying this. She was grabbing a hold of Jesus through faith, even in the midst of her deepest pain. And it made a tremendous impression on me. Because she refused. By the grace of God, she willed herself by God's help through the Spirit to hang on to God's promises even in the bottom of the pit. And the question is, how do we do that? And I'd say, first of all, we need to pray. Lord, help me to get there. Help me to be there when it when it's in the thick of it all, when it gets so deep. Help me to see your word and promises. Help me to not be swallowed up in the circumstances. I would say first that. Secondly, I would say she had God's word hidden in her heart. She had verses that she had memorized that she could quickly you know, bring to bear in her mind. And it helped her to pull, out, pull a little bit out of the pit, so to speak. It would be a couple of practical applications there. And so we first trust in his word, which is what she did. But the second thing, the second way we exercise faith in the great trials is by trusting that, that Jesus cares. Look at verse 38 with me. It says, but he was in the stern, that is the back of the boat, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? You see, the disciples in, in the middle of all this, what they were doing was accusing Jesus of not caring because he was asleep. And, of course, they had forgotten how he had already cared for them previously in their lives. And we can find ourselves in the midst of hard times sometimes wondering if, Jesus really cares. Have you ever been there? I have. I have been there. I've been there to where I'm saying, Lord, you care. Here's the first 12 preachers. There they, that's where they were. Do you care? You know, the Israelites in Isaiah 49 accused God of not caring, they said, the Lord has forsaken me and my Lord has forgotten me, Isaiah 49, verse 14. This is where the devil wants us to be, by the way. He wants us to be to the point where we don't think Jesus cares. Because if he can get us there, we're, in, we're, we're, we're paralyzed. That's what the devil wants. He wants us to doubt God cares. 
Now, listen to what God, how God responds to the Israelites. When, they, when the Israelites accuse God of not caring in Isaiah 49, 14, here has, here's how God responds in verse 15. Can a woman forget her suckling child, her nursing child, that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Yes, they may forget, yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have graven you upon the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. You see, what God says here is, is if, you've, if you're one of his children, if you come to him in Christ, then he loves you more than your mother did at the point when you were at the age where you needed to be nursed. The most helpless, needy time of your life. And we were all there at one time. And he's saying, at that point, the way your mother loved you, I love you more than that. In fact, you're engraved on the palms of my hands. And your fears and your problems and your concerns and your frustrations are continually before him as the four walls of the room. I think it was Isaiah 63, he says, in all our distresses, he too was distressed. When we become connected to Christ, when we become a Christian and therefore we become permanently connected to him, joined at the hip to him, he literally, he literally feels your pain. That's what the Bible teaches. He cares. Now, why he doesn't relieve the pain when you want it relieved is a whole different subject that we're not getting into today. But he has reasons. And they're good reasons. And that's hard sometimes. But that's where faith comes in. He cares. Second, that's the second point. And the third point is about exercising the faith in the great in, in the face of great trials is that we have to trust in his power. Now we look down here with me at verse 39. It says, Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. Now critics have said, Okay, the wind can stop on a dime, and that's true. And, you know, you, You've seen the wind out here howling and the tree's about to blow over. One second, and then about a couple seconds later, it's gone. It stopped. That happens. Okay, that could have happened. But what what can't happen is when you have all this energy built up on a big body of water like this, to where you have breakers breaking over the side of a boat. That doesn't stop like this. There's too much energy going on there. It reminds me uh, uh, of last summer when. Uh, my boys and I went out on one of those half-day boats uh, down at the coast uh, with about 50 people. And, you know, you go out there and throw your line over and get hung up with everybody else because you got all you're doing half the time is <laughs> untangling lines instead of catching fish. But that particular day, I mean, that, there was about four or five-foot swells. And, you know, there's a, there's a rail all around the boat. And <clears throat> I didn't get sick. There were some others that did. Uh, but, you know, it was so bad that I was literally, you know, holding on to the rail like this with one hand and holding on to the fishing rod over here, you know, and looking at my watch thinking, when's this, when are we getting off this boat? But 
I remember looking at the waves and, and, and thinking about this passage. Man, there's a lot of power here. There's a lot of energy here. But as soon as Jesus said, peace be still, it says here, the wind ceased in verse 39, and there was a great calm. The, the, this big body of water went from being turbulence like this to being like the top of a glass table like this. And that's pretty amazing. You see, the Bible tells us in Matthew 19 that with Jesus says, with God, all things are possible. With God, all things are possible. And you may, you may be facing now a time in your life, or you may be facing in the near future a time in your life where you see the, you see the circumstances and you say, this is just... This is just a Mount Everest. I can't climb. And I have to climb this somehow. How am I going to do it? Is God powerful enough to handle this problem? And maybe it's an illness. Maybe it's a work situation. Maybe it's a family challenge. Maybe it's a personal flaw that you have that you've been struggling with for a long time. Maybe it's money, maybe it's loneliness, children, grandchildren, problems. Maybe it's a guilty conscience. You wonder, can God really forgive me for that? And what we can begin to do is doubt the power of Christ to handle our issues. That's what we can begin to do. This is what the, Bible, this is what the disciples did here, they doubted. His power. And what Satan does is he comes and whispers in our ear and says, you know, this one's too big. This one's too big. And what God's saying here is, nope, it's not. There's nothing too big. Because I'm bigger than everything else. And I'm more powerful than everything else. In fact... I think it was R.C. Sproul that said that there's not one square inch of this entire universe that's not underneath God's direct and full control every single second of every single day. All things consist in him, the Bible tells us. All things are held together by the word of his power. Now, he has the power. He has the power. So to, to, to exercise faith in the face of great trials, it begins with trusting in his word. It, be, it also includes trusting that he cares, even when we don't understand what's going on. It includes trusting in his power. But for all this to help us, notice trusting, 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 it all becomes, it all boils down to faith, doesn't it? It all boils down to belief in the heat of the moment when you, when you get to the crux of the matter. And, you know, I don't know where you're at with, the, with this. Uh, would you say you're more like the English or more like the Moravians? I, personally, I, honestly, I would have to say I'm more like the English too, many, too much of the time, and I want to be more like the Moravians, personally. 
I want to be less like the disciples and more like the Moravians. And the question is, is how do we get there? Well, I think it really just goes back to the story in Mark chapter 9 where you remember the demon-possessed boy and the, this, the father takes the demon-possessed boy to the, to the, uh, the disciples to, to, to cast the demon out and the, and, the, and the disciples try to do it, but they can't do it. And they call Jesus over. And uh, the short of it is, uh, you remember Jesus, Jesus casts out the, the demon but before he cast it out, the, the, the father comes to, the, to Jesus and says, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And you remember Jesus' response. Jesus says to the, to the father, if you can, <laughs> if I can. And then he says, all things are possible to him who believes. What he was telling, what he was telling the father is, the problem is not my power. The problem is your belief in my power. And what was the father's response to that? He said, he said, he said, I believe, but help my unbelief. What a humble response. I believe a little bit, Jesus, but I need help. Help my unbelief. Those Moravians didn't get to where they were by being just some kind of super Christians. They got to be where they were because some, somehow at some point in their life they, they went to God and said, God, help me believe. And he did. He helped them. And if we go to him and ask him to help us believe, he'll help us too. Let's pray together. Lord, we're all people that face trials and so some of us may even be facing them today. And we thank you that you decided to inspire Mark to write this story down. We thank you for what it teaches us. We thank you, Lord, that for the reminder that we do, we can and should trust in your word and in your, the fact that you really do care about our situation and about us more than we ever will be able to understand. And that you do have the power to handle our situation. Father, help us to also trust in your wisdom, in your perfect wisdom, in all these things, that you have a plan. And we see such a small piece of the plan. And so there's where faith comes in, Lord. Would you help us? Would you help our unbelief? Would you increase our faith? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's respond to God's word by singing number 498, verses 1, 4, and 5. Let's stand together. <clears throat>